This time on Divisive Issues, we cry. Not for justice, we just cry. Uh, welcome to Divisive Issues, the podcast where we discuss literally divisive issues in comics. Comics that have a lot of controversy and a lot of differing opinions on them. In this episode, we'll be covering a very special comic called Justice League Cry for Justice. The premise of this comic is... Oh, wait, actually, we should introduce ourselves. Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Ryan. And I'm Sly. Cry for Justice is about... What is this about? It's about a bunch of people crying for justice. Yeah, they really want justice in this book. It's a pretty on-the-nose title. They really want it. They're thirsty for justice. Uh, Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern... They're dehydrated from all those tears. (laughs) Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern, is sick and tired of how the Justice League is being run. He wants to be more proactive. He doesn't want to wait around for criminals to do stuff. He wants to bust them uh, and hunt for them uh, proactively. So he makes his own team separate from the Justice League. Uh, Does it have a name? I guess it's just called the Cry for Justice team. No, there's a Justice League. They never call themselves the Justice League, so I'm just going to call them the Cry for Justice team. There's a Justice League in this book. Black Canary gets fed up after, you know, Green Arrow doesn't talk to him for like a week and just like, I just banded the Justice League. Oh, yeah, that's true. So, yeah, this is Justice League. (laughs) Yeah. So, would you guys recommend Cry for Justice? Uh, That's a complicated question. Oh, wait. No, it's not. No, I wouldn't. This book is terrible. Basically, it's a more proactive superhero team, like Sly says. But usually, that would be a concept that I find really interesting. Like, where is... Where do they use their power, especially in the DC universe where they're basically gods? Where do they draw the line? But this book does not cover any of those nuances and is just really, really bad. I don't think anyone, no matter how knowledgeable you are about the DC universe, I don't think you can follow the dozens and dozens and dozens of characters in this book. If you're a new fan, you won't have any idea what's going on. If you're an old fan, you'll just be mad at what they do to all these characters. I don't... I can't imagine anyone enjoying this book. It's not even so bad it's good. It's just... I'm going to be a little less harsh than Ryan on this one. Um... There are certainly parts of the book that I did enjoy. Oh, there Um, are a couple scenes that I like. The art is gorgeous. Um... The writing is... On nose, but not always bad. Um, parts of it I actually found to be very good. Um, the biggest issue, I guess, with recommending this book is Ryan said this is not new reader friendly. Um, it's not like if you've read any DC books within the last five years, um, you will still be confused as to what the hell is going on. Uh, the fact that it's out of continuity with the new 52, uh, there's no real need to go back and read this book. I can't imagine why people would be curious about it. I'll say this, I like the ending. The ending is something that I haven't seen in a comic book, um, and I don't think I've seen it in a comic book since. Um, I can't talk too much about it without getting spoiler, but I thought the ending was actually pretty solid. Um, I know I said this the art is really pretty. It is really, really pretty. Um, if you want to see a lot of faces in the DC universe, um, I can certainly recommend it for that. Um, you're not going to get a lot of detail on them, you kind of got to have an encyclopedia at your side to really comprehend um, all the cameos and everyone that's in it. But it, it is so on the nose and it is so over the top and it's so not consequential in the greater scheme of the DC universe. 
And I think there's just so many other like books and runs that I could recommend to like a new reader that I'd, I'd say you could probably leave this one alone. Actually, I do want to... I, I know who I would recommend this to. I would recommend this to someone who wants to convince their friends that comic book art isn't as campy and silly as it used to be, as like a coffee table book that you could flip through and look at the pretty pictures. Just don't touch any of the words. You can touch some of the words. <laughs> in, my, in my opinion, um, when we did Civil War episode, we talked about revisiting old stories. We talked about how on a, on a second read-through, we can make a piece of a story. Like the first time, maybe you look at it too fondly or too too poorly. And um, because of that, when you revisit it, you're more conscious of the flaws, you're more conscious of the, the positives, and you're able to basically accept the story for what it is, not for what you wished it was or what you or the elements you hate about it. And this story has a very special place for me because like Civil War... I had a very negative reaction when I first read it, and when I first met Ryan, he actually loved the story when we first he first. Wow, way to fucking throw him under the bus! Yeah, I don't like, think I loved it. I okay, so Ryan will deny though. this fucking shit, but he can deny all he fucking wants to. I'm having the record. He he recommends. He said he would recommend the book to the readers when we first met. So that's. I have no idea what I was thinking. Yeah. I believe you, and when I was reading it today, I was like, "What? Why did I ever feel this way?" But when we argued about it, I actually for a long time wondered. Maybe I was... Maybe my friend's an idiot. <laughs> no, but I was wondering, maybe I'm the one that's wrong. Maybe I'm too harsh on this book. I'm just... second guess yourself, Sly. I think that's some deep insight into Sly's character. Maybe Ryan's right. Maybe Cry for Justice is great. Yeah. So I, when I read it, I'm like... Maybe I was the one who cried for justice. Yeah. So when I read it now, I was like, I was wrong. This is not a bad book. This is the worst fucking comic I've ever read in my fucking life. <laughs> like, this book is ugly. It's mean-spirited. It is just... Ugly, ugly as in story or ugly as it's, in It's just ugly as in... It makes me feel nauseous. The shit that goes on in it. The ugliness this book represents to me. I just... No book makes me feel this angry just looking at it. I, I fucking hate this book. <laughs> like, fuck it. Okay. Okay, so before Sly gets into Sly, how plot, do you really feel about this book? There are two things that I want to point out from the forward in the book itself by the writer, who I would like to talk about the credits a little bit. It's written by James Robinson, who is, in my opinion, one of the best comic book writers to ever grace DC, but not in this case. But he talks a lot in the intro about how it wasn't the most well-received book, and I would like to just point out two parts in here. One, he has a memory about the book where he says... He's realizing after the fact how often he has people saying justice in the opening parts of the series, which we will get to. It's a lot. And this paragraph I'd like to read very briefly. I can honestly say that Justice League Cry for Justice was one of the weirdest, darkest tales I've ever written. I think it may be the darkest JLA story ever written, although others may beg to differ. Am I proud of that? Not proud, no. I merely state what I feel to be true. I certainly know this tale isn't to everyone's taste. I know some people are even angered by it. Like Sly. But it's a work I stand behind. I hope reading it is one combined and therefore quicker read. You'll see what I was going for. The slower build, gaining momentum, the growing cast, the growing event. And I thank you for your time reading it. That sounds a lot to me like an apology. I think for a forward for a hardcover edition, that seems pretty apologetic to That's me. That's very telling of the content. I, no, I, I think he realizes that he, he may have missed the mark on this one um, a little bit. 
Only a little bit. Yeah. So <laughs> well. So let's get into. Yeah. So I just want to. I just want to specify that it's written by James Robinson and the art is by Moro Castiglione. Who is super good, by the way, James Robinson. Yeah. You're. You're under. He is a very, very good writer. I said he's one of the best writers DC's ever had. This book is terrible. <laughs> he's one of the best writers. Lots of like. Yeah. He's great for Marvel too. While yeah. we're giving initial recommendations, what are your thoughts on this? What's his name? The artist Moro Cascioli, Moro and the colorist, that, and the colorist Scott Clark. That yeah. guy, whose name I can't pronounce. Uh, that guy's art. Um, <laughs> you guys that gentleman's art was something else. Oh no, Scott you. Clark is not the colorist. My bad. Scott Clark does the last three issues, which were also very. The colorist funny. is Moro Cascioli, Sia Um, and Giovanni Kosowski. And I think it's a shame that this artist is on this book because we were debating this before. I don't know how you know. This is just my speculation, but. His art is so great, and he did four other issues that I could find in his whole career in, like, mainstream comics, and I hope that it doesn't have to do with how poorly received this book was, because he is the only thing that makes this book at all worth holding. Because his art is, is, it's a realism that I've never seen in comics before, and he does a lot of his own inking and coloring, and it is just... It's like, it reminds me of Simone Bianchi a little bit, but in a much less stylized way, and it's just... It just looks great. It, it, I, you just, I will throw some pictures on the Facebook page, because you have to see how cool it looks. Alright, so uh, now we're going to get into spoilers and other stuff, so... If you if you probably don't read this book, but if you are planning to read this book, fuck you. But if you are planning to read this book, uh, maybe you want to skip the rest of this episode. That's right. We don't need you viewers. Yeah, I think you're better off skipping listeners. the book than the episode. But that's just me. If people like this book, we don't want to listen to this podcast. So whoa, 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 whoa. Slides right. <laughs> so not because I think they're terrible, but because I don't think they're going to appreciate the things we have to say about it. I question their tastes. Okay, so. James Robinson uh, is a notable art writer who started his work with a series called Starman. Starman was a book in the 90s about... Uh, Starman? A Starman, a hero who basically his dad was Starman, and he's taking up the mantle after his brother died. He really doesn't want to be Starman, but he takes up the role because his dad really wants him to. It's a very, it's a, we talked about imprints like Vertigo and Max... Even though it's part of the DC universe and it relies very much on DC history, to me, it feel, uh, Starman feels like a very uh, vertical book in that it's very self-contained. Jack Knight starts his career in the beginning of the book, ends his career at the end of the book, and he never shows up in anything ever again. He's in JSA. Well, for the record. Well, fuck me then. Yeah, but that's during Starman though. Starman, it's, was, Starman was going at the time that that. That's book true, existed. and it's also written by James Robinson. Yeah, yeah. Once he retires, he's no, not, you're right. He's right. not been in a book since. And um, I think James knowledge. Robinson actually had a clause in his contract, which I don't think had ever been seen in DC before, that his Starman characters could not be used without his permission. So, getting to the main story, the story opens up with Hal Jordan saying, "I'm sick of all this shit. I'm quitting the Justice League." And Hal Jordan is Green Lantern, basically space cop with a magic ring. If you saw the hit movie Green Lantern with <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, I'm sorry, but um, that can sums up the character for yeah. you. But uh, Hal is basically pissed off because Martian Manhunter and Batman both just died. They got better, but... And not yet. They were dead at the time from the yeah, story. Yeah, but they got crisis. better, so let's not get into yeah. how that all happened. <laughs> so, he's sick of all of them being dead. He's sick of Justice League being reactive and says... What about justice? We have to fight for justice. You want the league, I want justice. Justice League, justice society, where's the justice? 
That is not a fucking exaggeration. He fucking talks like that in this fucking Just like, scene, where's dude. the beef? Where's the justice? Yes. And uh, basically says, Justice League, they're not doing enough. Um, and he wants to f- seek for justice. Which I think is a valid premise for the story. He He's going and he's saying, we keep losing people because we're in the new dark, gritty age of comics where people get killed all the time. Why do we just sit and wait for supervillains to come blow up the planet? I think that, that that's why I originally bought the book, because I was like, this premise seems really cool. I really I like the premise. I yeah. I don't like it with the cast of characters that were chosen. That's true. The cast of characters makes no sense. I think this premise is fucking stupid. First of all, um, <laughs> when you're a team, a superhero team, you're naturally going to be reactive. Justice is reactive. You react to crimes. If they don't come in a crime, they're not criminals. But... He's saying, I think the same thing could be said about police officers. That police officers are reactive. When no, a police but officer at the same time, they still do detective work and look to try to prevent crimes from being. Well, that's different committed. from what. How uh, never outlines clearly what he actually. Well, wants that's to the do. thing is that's where the premise is strong. I think his his the execution his execution falls apart yeah. because Hal never outlines why he has to quit the team because no one else wants it. Superman's no, like they don't say that Superman, until after he says I'm quitting. Yeah. Okay. Like, he just says, like, calm down, Hal, and Hal says, fuck you, I'm out of here. And I think that this could, they're really missing some pretty obvious metaphors that they could put in. They're in a, the, to give an idea, the Justice League's headquarters are in a satellite floating around the Earth. You could very easily talk about how we're so far up here, we're so disconnected from the people, that we don't see crimes until they're on a global scale. Like, I'm not saying, like, police officers should go out and, you know, that time travel paradox of, like, go kill Hitler before he commits any crimes, all that stuff. But the question is, should they be doing more proactive, like, detective work to see supervillains while they're in their lairs with their henchmen planning things? You know, and he even points out that there's, like, known supervillains that escape from Arkham Asylum and they don't do anything about it. Yeah, I, I saw this house, like, uh, we should go after, like, you know, all the active criminals who... While maybe they haven't done anything yet, they're still active criminals. Yeah. They might not have done their newest heist, yeah. but they're criminals. They're wanted by the law, yeah. and we're just letting them sit Those there. Those are fair interpretations, but I don't think Hal ever clearly outlines his plan. Oh, no, he I doesn't. I agree, I agree. He doesn't. But as a, a Hal Jordan fan, when I first read this, he's a space cop, and I always felt it was weird that he was a cop as his like day job, and then he's on the Justice League, which is so above the law and all that stuff, and I like the idea of him being like, let's do cop stuff. I just want to talk about that for a second, because uh, Hal is a space cop, and he's a very bipolar character in general, because we know the Ryan Reynolds, goofy, funny Hal Jordan. There's also the conservative, cry-for-justice Hal Jordan we see here, and existed for many years, and that, char- that character is at, is at odds in this story, where one minute, he talks... Uh, I want justice, justice league, justice society, justice, justice, justice. Next scene, he's talking about, oh, it's cold up here. I want a jacket. Yuck, yuck, yuck. <laughs> See, I always, that's, to get a little bit ahead, he teams up with Green Arrow. Yeah. And Green Arrow has always been the, like, liberal soapbox, preaching about the fat cats to Hal's conservative cop you know, authority figure. And I actually found that I find the two sides of Hal to be intentional and interesting in his character where he's like, he always reminds me of like your conservative uncle. That's really fun. And then gets really serious about things at Thanksgiving. Sometimes I, I disagree. <laughs> like, there's, I feel the dialogue and the story is fucking atrocious. Again, I don't think that's a problem with the premise. It, the writing does not handle it well. Okay, so we disagree on the premise, but 
getting into the execution of this premise, yeah. we go from justice, justice, justice. Hal goes with Green Arrow, leaves, quits, quits the Watchtower. Next scene is them saying, oh, maybe we should have used a teleport instead of flying all the way down to Earth. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like, oh, my wife's going to kill me. I just quit the team of her on it. <laughs> Fuck this book. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the tonal inconsistencies, yeah. the way people talk. Yeah. For, well, for the record, Green Arrow's uh, wife is Black Canary. Who's leader yes. of the Justice League at the yes. moment. Yes. See, I I can't believe I'm defending this book so much, but I took that as Hal had this dramatic speech planned, and Hal's always been a reckless, impulsive character. He had this dramatic speech planned, and he gives the dramatic speech, and he has his drop the mic and run away, and then he realizes... I'm an idiot. Why did I do that? There were such smarter ways to handle this. That's the way I interpreted it. But again, there's obviously... We're like five pages in. There's obviously discrepancies that the dialogue does not make these things clear. I, I, w- I would buy the explanation, but um, if it wasn't a consistent problem that people act like strange justice robots saying justice, justice, justice one second and then making jokes the next second that, that happens throughout this entire book that I find it... <laughs> really off-putting and totally inconsistent. But. No, I think that's fair. No, it's a clash in tones. It's It really is. like you Because it's like you have that big dramatic scene, and then how it's like, man, God, I, we should really take in the teleporter. Yeah. They're all like, oh, God, we should have taken the teleporter. I think he does do the tone shift really poorly later on. This is one time that I think it's fine. Okay, so next scene is Ray Palmer, The Atom. If you don't know who The Atom is, The Atom is basically DC's version of Ant-Man. The guy who shrinks... And has a very fucked up backstory. And in this story, he's, he's fighting alongside with Ryan Choi, who's basically the new Adam. Basically, the, the backstory on the Adam as the resident Adam expert, <laughs> he he's a scientist who shrinks and tries to stay really optimistic. And throughout his entire career, something terrible happens and he disappears for a while. And he gets like dark and gritty for a little bit. And then he comes back and he's like, I'm ready to be better. And then something terrible happens. It reminds me a lot of Spider-Man, how Spider-Man just gets shit on and shit on and shit on. And he keeps getting up, but Ray doesn't have the plot armor that Spider-Man has. So he, he gets up a lot slower. He gets up a lot slower. And one of the times he was gone for a while, Ryan Choi, who's a graduate student, takes over as the Atom. And this scene is the first time in current continuity that they have met. So this is the first time I've ever heard his character. Maybe he existed before this. But we get our first off-screen death. When, when Ray Palmer says, Professor Hayat was tortured and mutilated and killed by this group of villains they're, they're fighting. Okay, I'm not going to go into detail on every name drop that they have, but I think Professor Hyatt has such a tonally ridiculous difference to this book that I have to go into detail. He was a 60s Adam character that invented a time portal called the Time Pool that was about the size of a glass. And it was just a, a floating portal that would travel in time. And Professor Hyatt would fish with a magnet to try to catch treasures of the past because that's a thing you do and the atom would shrink down and ride the magnet into the past and go on time travel adventures some of which he teams up with Edgar Allan Poe and invents the detective story he hides in a lamp to beat a corrupt sultan and they call him Al Adam who eventually through time becomes known as the legend of Aladdin (laughs) so yes having him be brutally mutilated and murdered off screen is ridiculous. Uh, correction, sorry. It was actually Professor Hayat's assistant, Mike Dante, 
who got torture mutilated. <laughs> Mike Dante was a half man, meaning he was literally cut down the middle during Ryan Choi's time as the Atom, if I recall. And wait, no, I'm totally wrong. That was a different character. That was Professor Hyatt's like cl- clone. Man, Whatever. Really, really rough go for the Atom characters. Yeah, really rough go for the Atom characters. Yeah. I don't know who his assistant is. But he dies off screen, so Our either first... way. Why bring Professor Hyatt into this story? Yeah. Is there anyone that isn't me that's going to be like, Professor Hyatt, yeah. that's a name drop I can get behind. So Ray Palmer and uh, Ryan Choi beat up these these villains responsible for this. And now they want to interrogate who the ringleader is. And Ray Palmer... Another ridiculously campy villain they bring... Or campy Killer character. Moth. Killer Moth. Yeah, Killer Moth. Who's exactly what he sounds like. Listen, I don't know about you. I'm always excited to see Killer Moth. Let me have this. Really? Yeah. Really? Even in this context? Even Joe? in this context. So this, this okay. context where Ray Palmer says, I'm Ray Palmer. Welcome to pain. You ever <laughs> have a sinus, sinus headache? Because I'm going to go into your brain and torture the fuck out of your brain. Yeah. So. This is Aladdin we're talking about. <laughs> I'll make... Wait. Is I'll make... Nope, that's Mulan that I'm thinking of. Never mind. <laughs> so you're going to make a man out of him, Ryan? Is that the <laughs> road you're going for? So Ray Palmer tortures Killer Moth by stepping on his brain. Shrinking down and stepping on his brain. I can't tell you how many times Joe has looked me in the eyes and goes, You ever have a sinus headache? I do it all the time. Because so, back when Ryan really liked this <laughs> I don't know what was wrong with me. So Ray, Ray Palmer and Ryan Choi part ways. Because Ray Palmer wants to get to the bottom of this. And his last line before he parts ways is, Justice. I actually... That's this is ridiculous. the best scene in the book. But though. this is my favorite scene in the book because there's an actual heartfelt... Th- there's like a dual narration between the two of them about how they both respect each other so much. And they like officially shake hands and Ryan Choi's idol is Ray Palmer. And he like gives him the the blessing to be the Adam. And then Ryan Choi leaves the book. He's not in it anymore. And I think that goes off to better things. As a big Ray Palmer Ryan Choi fan at the time I read it, I think that's one of the reasons why I defended it because that's a scene that I always wanted to see, and I think aside from the torture stuff, is handled very well. Those four pages made the entire book for College Ryan. Yes, College Ryan did a lot of dumb things, <laughs> like live two weeks on nothing but mac and cheese and raisinets. Raisinets delicious. I don't blame you. <laughs> so then we go to Starman, not the Starman Dad. Robinson wrote, but a star man that guest starred in Robinson's run. Well, no, it's a, it is a character that Robinson created for the book. You, no, he actually was a uh, character that existed beforehand. Oh, really? He was basically a failed 70s follow-up to the original star man, who was basically an alien who came down to Earth, betrayed his alien race for humanity, and fun fact, the, he only appeared in one issue, ends on a cliffhanger, he disappears until Robinson's run 20 years later. And he's a pretty major character in Robinson's run. And one thing I would like to point out that's extremely relevant here is, as far as I know, he's one of the first bisexual uh, character in DC. And this was in the 90s when that wasn't really common. Yeah. Not that it's super common now. But it's he more was, common now. Yeah, it's more common now. But he was definitely a ahead-of-his-time character that really, in Starman, his sexuality is explored in a much more mature and emotional way than we see a lot. And the reason why I bring this up is because his first scene is at the funeral of his dead like, gay boyfriend. Of his dead gay boyfriend, Tony. Tony, which just really sets the tone for me. Where it's like, remember all the like nuanced stuff about his sexuality. We're never gonna mention it ever again, and we're just gonna bury his boyfriend. So in the behind the scenes uh, stuff that Robinson wrote, he says how he never really developed Tony as a character, and he says. With this death, uh, Tony has the impact on the story and the readers that he never had in real life. And my interpretation of that is, 
boy, it's so much easier to kill off a character, make make a cheap emotional weight from that rather than develop him. He Men get, in refrigerators. Yeah, he gets fridged. Yeah, which is a term that I feel like we're definitely going to talk about a lot more. That I feel like needs explaining. It stems from an early ninety, uh, mid '90s Green Lantern story, where the new Green Lantern at the time, Kyle, has a girlfriend that she only she's only in it for a couple issues. One and, issue, I think. No, it's it's like four or five issues. Okay. And she, she gets, has a life slide. Yeah, <laughs> four or five issue but life. She's introduced just so she can get every bone in her broken every bone in her body broken and stuffed in her refrigerator and after that it began a trope uh, that was popularized in the late 90s called women in refrigerators which is when you introduce a love interest character and as much as it pains me to say it it's all it's almost always female just to kill them off to make the character fall to their knees and scream no into the sky. Or in this case, justice. Yeah, exactly. Which is what happens when yeah. Mikhail finds out. And having Tony get fridged really sucks. It, it sets the tone for things to come. Yeah. Exactly. Next we have Kongorilla. Who's that, you may ask? Well, that's a very good question. <laughs> so Kongorilla, a.k.a. Congo Bill, a.k.a. Bill, it's a man... You can't uh, decide in the book either. Yeah. So. Let's keep the, these introductions quicker. Yeah. He's a man that turns into a gorilla yeah. sometimes. And his gorilla family dies. So he wants justice. By the way, what is a fucking DC and fucking gorilla heroes and villains? They have a whole city of them. Marvel has like zero, and DC has like a shit gorillas ton. Gorillas are awesome. Yeah, Marvel should get to step up their game. <laughs> gorillas, yeah. Sly's right. Marvel needs way more gorillas. We need more gorillas and less diverse characters. Although, I did gorillas are... Yeah. That's a diversity. That's like an, that's, it's underrepresented. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, they're they're, they're typing the demographic, the girl demographic. Yeah. But uh, they buy comics, right? Yeah, absolutely. This is one thing I want to point out, though. Uh, Kong Gorilla was a uh, Golden Age uh, fun adventure character. Golden Age is the the thirties, forties, and early fifties. But he became a Silver Age seventies goofy character by becoming a gorilla. And I just want to, as you do. And a lot of and this is the thing that happens a lot of times in comics where writers will bring back characters from the childhoods, goofy, fun characters from the childhoods, and put them in really dark, messed up stories, which I find really weird, because this is a point of the tone I characters. feel like, the reason why I think this is, I actually feel pretty strongly about this. I think it's because these are characters that these guys loved when they were kids, and they thought they were so cool, and they want, they they want to show people they're like look how cool this character is all those guys that all my friends that told me they were dumb I didn't I tell you how cool Kong Gorilla was look at him kill all these dudes <laughs> but that being said Kong Gorilla is one of the only good parts of this book yeah I don't mind his introduction to this I feel like he works as a blank a relatively blank slate character he works in this book because there's not a lot of damage I have no problem with Kong Gorilla but the rest of the scene I despise they kill off. Congrel's friend, a Freedom Beast. Freedom Beast. And I have a big problem with Freedom Beast's death. There was a character called Freedom Beast that in the 60s that was... He con- he helped control animals or talk to animals or whatever he did. He had some sort of, like, nature powers. And he was this white guy in Africa. You say he's about Wannabeast? Or is he slightly different? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's Wannabeast. Okay. And he changes his name to Freedom Beast at some point. One of them does. But right. Wannabeast <laughs> in the 80s, Grant Morrison's Animal Man run, and Animal Man comes up in this book too, replaces him with a black character because Grant Morrison says he's the only African character that DC has. Why do we make him a, like a big white guy? Like he should be he should be an African character. So they make him into an a black character, and then he sh- and he's one of the few African characters I think that DC has, and they kill okay. him off right away again, just like Tony, one of the few gay characters that DC has. To be fair though. 
He doesn't die off screen. He dies in the, only in the first page he appears in. The very first page. So give him credit. He, they gave him some time to breathe. Yeah, but I feel like, especially coming in the same issue as the Tony thing, What? why? Why are you doing this? So, Kangarilla cries for justice. And, then and we, that's the end of issue one. Yeah, end of issue one. Issue two begins with Green Arrow and Green Lantern in Gotham. And... Good things always happen in Gotham. Yeah. Green Lantern actually talks about how much he hates Gotham, how much he hates Batman. And, but he doesn't. he is sad that Batman is dead now. No, it's a nice scene. I like this scene because yeah. James Robinson pretty accurately describes that feeling you get when someone you don't really like very much dies, and you're like, I want to grieve, but I feel like I don't deserve to grieve because I think he's an asshole. And you almost don't know how. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I felt like this is when I'm like, James Robinson's a real good writer. Like Joe said earlier, there's parts where I'm like, the great writer that James Robinson is shines through. Uh, because we're pointing out this is a good scene, and because I, I really hate this comic, I have to point out the one big, huge, p- glaring flaw on the scene. Is it the threesome thing? Yeah. Um, as a joke, uh, Green Lantern says, I have a confession to make, and Green Arrow says, Oh yeah, I heard you had a threesome with uh, Lady Blackhawk and Huntress. Good job, man. And basically he's basically implying, Oh yeah, let's make Hal look like a stud by having it, implying that he had a threesome with two uh, strong female characters. A scene, a scene by the way, that... Um, the person writing those characters basically made a response to this and ha- revealed that Hal basically just got drunk and tried to grope them instead. <laughs> so, and I always love it when, when the writer's like, I'm going to ruin your character by putting a dumb joke in my book. And the other yeah. writer's like, no, fuck you, you're not. Yeah. So then we come to, jump to Black Hawk Island where Kongorilla and Simon are fighting for no reason. And they like, really are. It just cuts to them just fighting. Uh, yeah. I, re- I just read this before. I'm just like, and they're here now. Why are they here? Yeah. Did they even tell how they how Starman got here? No. What what brought them there? Yeah. That's sort of like, like like what brought them to do do we know what brought them to Blackhawk Island? All they say is how did you get this far? Connections. End of scene. <laughs> now keep in mind <laughs> This is how good writing works. Kongorillo and this Starman are not characters that most People know. People know. So, and they don't explain who these people are at all. Like, we gave some backstory about Starman, about these characters. That is not said in these books at all. So, how would they, like, connections means nothing. And we have no attachment to these characters at all. So, they have, they have, they have, there's just a big filler scene where they're showing them fighting. And they don't even bother how they even got to that island. It does look awesome. Yeah. This artist is so good. (laughs) So, then they get a plane and fly off Blackhawk Island. Yeah. What is Blackhawk Island? I'm not going to get into fucking Blackhawk Island. (laughs) Fuck you. Okay, never mind. So, then... Green, Green Arrow and Green, Green Lantern uh, meet one of Batman's friends. He tells them where a bunch of villains are hiding out. And uh, apparently, Prometheus, who is a villain, should explain. He's anti-Batman. He's a guy that his parents were killed by cops. His parents were like bank robbers or whatever. So he decided to do all this. Like, he basically became Batman, but as a criminal. So he has all these plans. He knows how to take out every hero. He showed up in JLA in the 90s. He's also not exactly like Batman because he cheats. He has this that he puts into his helmet that gives him the fighting capabilities of many different people and basically uses that to cheat to get uh, the best fighting abilities possible. Yeah, but he's... I think his origin is basically... He's meant to be an antithesis yeah, to Batman. Yeah, exactly. And the story... Basically, before the story, they had a bad story called Hush Returns where they made him kind of into a joke. And this story was a way to... He for, was in Hush Returns? Yeah. Listen, no one looked good in Hush Returns. Yeah. Let's but, not get into that. Yes, yeah, so, but... Um, Basically, Robinson says he, he wanted Prometheus to become top shit villain in the story. This is this is his way to make Prometheus to a top dog villain. He again. also goes out of his way to be like, oh, that was an imposter Prometheus yeah. in, in that hush story. Yeah. Yeah, so Green Arrow and Green Lantern find out Prometheus has is arranging a, a villain meetup, and they jump off the roof and go fight this villain meetup. 
Next scene is uh, Jake Garrick, the original Flash. I this I get so mad at this. Uh, his, his first scene is the Flash Museum, which is the museum that collects Flash memorabilia, has been broken into by Prometheus, and he killed off the Three Stooges. Okay. Off screen, Sly really wanted me to talk about these guys. I did too, because, I, I, like I said, I was reading this from the two of them, and it was like, you know, he killed some friends of mine, and then it's a cutaway to these very old-fashioned, old-timey-looking characters, and I, I, I jokingly call them the Three Stooges. Yeah, as Sly and Joe said, a combination of the Three Stooges and Laurel and Hardy. They, uh, and a third guy. <laughs> and Some other third man. Jay Garrick is the Golden Age Flash. He's the original Flash. And in the 40s, his book had a lot of other features, because comics used to be, like, more magazines than comic books. And they, it was, like, a comedy team of, like, goofy guys that would, like, get into trouble, and sometimes they would, like, fall. Not, not trouble, like, in a comic trouble. But <laughs> yeah. More in They would, that. like, you know, they were the Three Stooges. Basically. They get in comedic situations, not, like, bony each Yeah, they would, like, paint a house and, like, accidentally catch a criminal for the Flash and walk, stuff like walk, that. Walk, 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 walk. And for no reason at all, James Robinson kills them off screen. Yeah. It's not like they were in another book. There's, It's not like they have anything to do with the story. And it's not like anyone even knows who they are enough to be like, whoa, he killed Nanki, Blinky, and Pinky, or whatever their names are. <laughs> like, I don't get why he killed them. It makes no sense to me. And also, Jay Garrick has brilliant things to do with the story, too. And he does not part he of the team. In, he, he gets a lot of screen time for someone who doesn't do anything, Yeah, though. he's not part yeah. of the team. He does not cry for justice. They kill all those characters, not even to make him Thank cry for God justice. Thank God he doesn't cry for justice, yeah. though. But, like... So Ray, Ray meets up with Jay, and they give up. They talk about their backstory. So if you never read any comics, you'll find about how Ray Palmer was a teenager for a little bit and joined the Teen Titans. If you want to hear about yeah. that, the story is really just James Robinson showing off his incredible knowledge of the DC yeah, universe. Yeah, that's the thing that I, I almost think, I think to his detriment a little bit. Yeah, that's one thing I want to point out is, you know, a lot of times we talked about this a little bit with Civil War that sometimes it's hard to jump in with these characters and like they throw in extra exposition in comics so yeah. we can catch up. But this book goes out of its way to be confusing. He brings up things that we're going to get to in the next scene that there's no reason to mention. I don't get why he mentions them. And like you mentioned, the teen, like the time Ray Palmer was turned into a teen and he ran the Teen Titans. Why? Why bring that? Why say that? And it really, I think Joe really yeah. nailed it. That it sounds like he's just bragging about how much DC knowledge he knows. But you know, this I, is in 2009. I, I don't necessarily hate the Teen Titans thing. It's just because he's trying to establish that Freddy and him had a prior connection. But just be like, oh yeah, we teamed up in the past. You don't need to yeah. go into the fact he was a teenager. I, I don't think Ray Palmer wants to get into the fact that he was a teenager. Like just because I don't just, forget just, about yeah. that. Just be like, yeah. you know, like. We teamed up once. It was cool. Because we know, between the three of us, we know a lot about the DC Universe. And there were so many characters that the three of us were like, who is this guy? Who is this guy? You know, like... Not, not even who is this guy, but who is this guy? Oh, wait, he's dead. And, and yeah, and... Who, so even if this is your What are favorite, they referencing? Like, what stories if, are they here's referencing? Like, even yeah. if it's, like, if they're your, your cult favorite, you don't want to see him in this because they die. Yeah. yeah. So f- the Freddy that Joe was referring to is Freddy Freeman, who is Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel Jr., Let's not get into fucking that. He's Captain Marvel at this moment. He's Captain Marvel Jr. Fuck you. So, so Captain Marvel... Okay, he's Captain Marvel Jr. Let's, Joe wins. He's okay. also Shazam at this point. Okay. Okay. Suck okay. it, Okay, so all you have to know is... <laughs> Freddie Freeman says Shazam, he turns into a big boy. And he basically becomes... Super- <laughs> he's a little boy who says Shazam and turns into a big boy. He's, he basically turns into Superman. Like he's, he's, basically, no, he's a teenager who turns into a buffer teenager at this point. I like the little boy, big boy. <laughs> But he basically lives the childhood dream of I want to become a superior, and he gets the magic wish. He's wish fulfillment. Yeah, yeah, he is wish. It's very nice. So, uh, uh, Captain Marvel Junior. 
Freddie Freeman. Let's just call him Freddie Freeman. Just Freddy, call him Freddie. Freddie picks up Ray. They'll call him Freddie anyways. So Freddie picks up Fre- Ray and takes him to me, uh, Hal, and uh, Green Arrow. Hey, why does he do that? Because <laughs> they want justice, just like them. I guess. I'm sorry. No, that's totally steps. They're like, we want justice. They, Let's go get justice. Oh, they're getting justice. So what did, Let's what did, go did, have a did justice Green Lantern party. Green Arrow make a goddamn Facebook event that was like, everybody who wants justice, meet up in Times Square. That's a yeah. good point. Yeah, it was cry for justice, question mark, <laughs> meet us here at this location. Batman's friend says, we're on the, sh- the reason why Batman's friend meets him up and says, we're on the street is you're out for justice. Like, how long were they out here that all, all of a sudden everyone's like, you're out for justice, I'm out for justice, you're out for justice, I'm out for justice. <laughs> Yeah, I heard, I heard Linda Park cover this and like the uh, yeah, the like news. are they are they fucking are they like tweeting about this that they're like, yo guys, justice meet up. No, it's like 1997. They're still on MySpace. Oh no, uh, 2007. They're still on MySpace. Because whatever they're doing, no, they're I want to now. use those techniques to promote this podcast. That's how everybody who wants justice come come listen to this show. So that, this page is ridiculous. This page is stupid. Uh, they beat up fucking Bizarro, Scarecrow, like a whole army. Wait, wait, Bizarro's there? Yep, Bizarro. They beat up Bizarro, the two of them. Beat up Bizarro, Bizarro is a Superman clone. Yes. He has Superman's powers. They beat up well, him. He has Superman powers. And a whole army of other superhero villains off panel. Freddy brings Ray to meet up with uh, Green Lantern and Green Arrow. And they are standing triumphantly over has to be 20 villains. That they are outpowered that by That they, they beat them off screen. And there is no reason why they would have been able to beat three of these guys together. There are a bunch of D-listers, don't get me wrong. But Just because like, they're D-listers doesn't mean they're not powerful. Oh, yeah, Javelin, come on. No, but Bizarro, He's, Mr. Freeze, Mr. Freeze, my, some of them might be powerful, but like some of them, I'll give them that like, yeah, they took out Javelin. But without a plan, they just jumped into this fight. Yeah, but that's the thing, they yeah. don't have a plan, and they... It is. Re- you open this page, and there's so many dudes. I don't get. Yeah, it's it's like, all off panel. That's thing for like a throwaway fight. I don't know why they put as many. Like if it was just javelin and like guys of that ilk, absolutely. This. Why you is Mr. Freeze and Bizarro this, there? Ah, uh, hell if I know. And why this? Fi- why did they not show this fight and show the fucking Congorilla? Uh, that's the thing. The Starman Star fight. fight. Yeah. Well, I don't have any interest in this fight. This fight doesn't add anything. It's just like. Then why, why- have it in there? Why is it in the story? I want to see how they beat all these guys. That's so awesome. I don't because it, it wouldn't beat these guys. They would lose this fight. They hand wave this bullshit. They yeah. would lose this fight so hard. Yeah. So that's why, like, I don't mind that you're just gonna have a way of fight, but like, remove like half those characters. Yeah. All right. Okay. So then, um, <laughs> after the fight, Ray Palmer, the Adam, and Freddie Freeman, sh- uh, show up and say, "Hey, you like justice? We like justice." <laughs> and then Supergirl shows up and says, "You know what? I like justice." <laughs> but Green Lan- Lantern says, "I don't know. Do you really like justice?" And she starts crying. <laughs> Well, okay, I thought that line was really weird. Supergirl shows up and helps them, and then... Oh, because of all those villains, Javelin is the one that wakes up. Yeah. And it's like, you can't take me down, I'm Javelin, I throw Javelin, that's all I do. (laughs) So, Supergirl, as they say in this really awkward, clunky dialogue, she... Her dad was killed by somebody, and she's banished from Earth, and she's on this other planet, and she's incognito. She comes back incognito in a giant Supergirl... Like cheerleader outfit. She's like, I'm supposed to be incognito right now, but I'm not. So whatever. Yeah, and so I guess that's why he asks if she's a hero or a villain. But it does. It's so weird in context. And this is one of the things that I I started to notice in this scene is like Joe said, she says I'm incognito. Well, not now, not this moment, but usually I am. But that's my status quo for this moment that yeah, we're ignoring. Yeah, and it's this weird thing that James Robinson does throughout this entire book, where he says this weird dialogue choice or this awkward thing, and then has a character point out the flaw in that, which doesn't make sense to me. Just don't say the thing. 
don't have her say she's incognito. Or, like, somebody will say, like, in issue one, Green Arrow says, oh boy, a bunch of times. And then somebody says, he's really saying, oh boy, a bunch of times. Just don't have him say, oh boy, a bunch of times. I think I think those were, for like, oh boy is definitely for comedic effect, the same way, like, when he makes fun of the fact, the sinus headache line. Um, this just feels like he's trying to adhere to the continuity of what's going on in everyone else's book but it's not going to work, but he's doing his best to at least acknowledge, like, look, this is her status quo, but I want to use her in the story, yeah. and I'm trying to fit this square peg into a and round And Joe hole. mentioned this before, about how editorial, or, like, the universe itself kind of took some characters away, put more characters in, and we feel that throughout the book, and that is one of the big flaws of a shared universe, is, like, yeah, he wanted to tell the story with Supergirl. Why Supergirl? I don't understand. She doesn't really have a major major role yeah. at all. No one has a major role in the story. Yeah, but he wants to tell the story with Supergirl, and he has to hand-wave and explain this continuity stuff. That he, could do, he could do it better than that. He could do, he could do a better job, but... As far as clunky continuity, that's not so much Robinson's fault. He could handle he's, it better. He's, he's trying. This he's is the trying. thing. He is trying to acknowledge that other stuff is going on. Like no, I, I, no, there's better than say, having Hal say, are you a hero or a villain? And then have her explain, I am technically not a hero right now. Yeah. I, I, there's a way better way. Like, there are better oh, ways. No, there is. It's clunky. Yeah. I, I give him credit for trying to make it fit. Even though, even though he doesn't do it in the best way. But, okay, uh, one thing we should try to... Like, yeah. we are harping a lot. We are unissue in. If we point out everything that sucks about this book, yeah. we, will, we will be here all night. <laughs> so I'm going to skip over to Kong Gorilla Starman uh, fight, because uh, they fight a bunch of robots, because this fight has nothing to do with the rest of the story, so... <laughs> Yeah, there's so much inconsequential yeah. like things. That's in the this, thing is like if series. we harp on every stupid thing, like there are so we can for those listening, we could harp on. Yeah, quite there a is few a bunch of just comic book bullshit of just fights for no reason. It would be cool to watch them punch robots. You know, like there's so much stuff that we're gonna gloss over. So, so they capture Prometheus, I think off panel. Yeah, they capture Prometheus yeah. off panel. What a big bad! And Ray Palmer tortures them, and then it turns out to be Clayface, which makes no sense because Ray Palmer's a scientist. And he inside going inside Clayface's brain and doesn't realize Clayface, a shape shifting man of clay, is not actually a human being. Well, I don't yeah, I feel like if Clayface shape shifted into every single organ and everything, yeah. he would have to be way smarter than he is. Yeah. <laughs> so so that makes no sense. So yeah. Clayface turns out um, This is I think the clunkiest and best dialogue of the whole book. Which one? The my after son. the Clayface right, scene. But, right after. Alright, so Clayface says he has my family I his have son to, yeah, his son I'm gonna kill myself and he blows up and basically trying to suicide bomb into well that's his purpose he's there to suicide yeah. bomb them so he's there to suicide bomb into the team uh, it turns out um, wait <laughs> this is the best dialogue so he goes they have my son I'm like I don't want to do this and he blows himself up and the team is protected by Shazam's magic lightning yep, which yep. I don't understand how that works it's lightning <laughs> like yeah I don't well, get that we touched upon later. it's a bomb but so then they go why did he do that how did Prometheus get to him and no one in the they they go back and forth between everybody and everybody but Ray Palmer are like I don't know why would he do that what did Prometheus have on him and Ray Palmer goes didn't he say they had his son? And they were like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. We were talking before we started recording this about, like, why are certain characters here? What purpose do they serve? And Ryan's like, why do they have Ray Palmer here? I'm like, because he's the only one that, like, fucking listens to whatever's yeah, going like, on. like, he said, 
two pages ago that they had his son. Yeah. And the team is like, I didn't even, I wasn't paying attention. I don't know what, why, how, why did he do Supergirl's that? Supergirl's who's the ogling Freddy, which yeah. is another wonderful subplot in this book. That doesn't go anywhere. I hate that fucking subplot. I don't want to make get, any sense. I don't want to get into it, but it's so fucking force. It's like one line every couple pages just to forcefully say, hey, they're interested in each other. Supergirl and Freddie Freeman, like whoever's perspective is just like, hey, nice bod. And then like, that's it. It doesn't go anywhere. There's no payoff. It's just weird. There's yeah. a, the, the reason there's no payoff is also wonderful. It may, but there's it a big people, reason why there's no payoff. But the, the, the way it's forced into this fucking story is so yeah. terrible. There are romance I actually wouldn't mind seeing. I wouldn't but, either, but, but it was it's done well. poorly done. Yeah. I'm coming for the justice, but I'm staying for the teen romance. <laughs> so the real Prometheus is in his, his domain in the pocket dimension. He's in his hideout. Yeah. It's a place yeah. that's hard to get to. That's just... Clarify for later, because yeah. a character gets in here that shouldn't have gotten in here very easily. But, um... And it brings it up mostly because he cackles about how evil he is and how he made the master plan. To another DC character, who's uh, one of the mad scientist characters, IQ, or like Professor Quimby or Quincy or whatever. He's not a major character, but he's there for no reason, just for Prometheus to cackle at, and then he and then he puts him, he like mind wipes him and turns yeah. him into a baby or whatever. Mentally, yeah. he gives him like a baby IQ. And I have to point out we have another off-screen character death because Prometheus brags, "I'm gonna kill just like just like I kill off the entire Global Guardians team in Europe." That was great. Yeah, one of DC's few like really diverse franchises. They haven't done a whole lot with them, but it's a European Union team. You know, I didn't know they existed. And they were focused. They were focused in Jeff Johns' Green Lantern run right before. That. And also, uh, uh, one of the members has a devil. Uh, in a very tasteful manner, Prometheus took his corpse and uses it as a throw rug. Cool, cool. Yeah. But the Global Guardians had been featured a couple times in recent years. That I don't know why he has to kill them in a word bubble. So as Ryan said, uh, Freddie Freeman makes them survive the explosion. Because lightning beats bombs. Yeah. And even stupid than that, Supergirl says, that was a stupid plan because I'm like invincible and Shazam is like invincible. So like, what the fuck is that going to do to us? And then uh, Robin doesn't have Van Rings pipe up and say, actually, the, the the bomb had Kryptonian DNA in it and it had Halodron DNA in it and it was going to exchange its substance when it exploded and it was going to kill all of you, like totally. Like... <laughs> No, Slide's Sly, absolutely correct. It's like, well, actually, the bomb was going to kill all of you because of these reasons. It's like a fifth grader writing a fan fiction about how a bomb that killed Superman saying, no, the bomb would totally kill Superman because <laughs> it had a like, kryptonite explosion in it and it would die. Yeah. Yeah. It really is that. So then we have uh, Martian Girl, which we're not getting into because she barely matters. Miss Martian? Miss Martian. You Martian. might know her from Young Justice. She doesn't do anything. Uh, you do get a nice upskirt shot of her, though. Yeah, Very cool. tasteful. Cool. I, I do, as much as I love the art, the way he draws girls is very TNA. Yeah, we we used the phrase cheesecake last time, and I don't think we talked about it. Cheesecake is when it's like, hey, boys, look at these ladies. There's a scene where they show Supergirl, and it's just her, like, she's at the forefront of the panel, so you, you just see her hair and her boobs, and that's it. And it's like, why? Why do that? So then we get more uh, gr- uh and uh, Mikal bullshit. Mikal is Starman. Mikal is Starman. Yeah. I do have to bring this up just because this seems fucking stupid. Uh, they, they find two uh, pe- members of Prometheus's group and they beat him up. And um, Starman Mikal says, uh, Congress is going to kill the two villains. And uh, Starman says, don't kill them. I just got a vision from Tony right now. He says killing is wrong. That is my character development for the story. And it's one off-screen panel. Literally. This book, we were reading some Amazon reviews for, for a goof before the show. And people that really like this book, we're talking about the, like, moral argument. It is... N- no one argues. It's just like, don't kill these people! And they're like, okay. Yep. Yeah. 
there's no argument. It's weird because I didn't mind their storyline. I kind of like their investigation, but it it's really it is very clunky. That's the thing is clunkly, I find not like, clunky. It's clunkily placed throughout. The I would rather read a story about these two characters solving crimes than yeah. Another, if they were story. like doing buddy cops, like getting vengeance and also keeping their role yeah. as heroes, like that's the thing is I'm not saying these scenes are poorly done. I'm saying in the scope of the book, they're awkwardly shoved in and have nothing to do with the main plot, and they don't go anywhere. Yeah, and this scene goes nowhere because Mikhail stops him, uh, Starman stops Kongorilla from killing them, but then they kill themselves anyway, so they're on a dead end anyway. One of them yeah. tries to sell out the other one. It was like, you know, in, in classic Force Awakens, it was like, traitor! So this, yeah. so this story does not matter to the main plot. Yeah, and that's the thing. is like, it, it does have endearing moments, but it it's so awkward it's shoved in the middle of these issues so uh, then the cry for justice justice team is hunting Prometheus so Ray Palmer is doing his his uh, brain stepping thing and science everyone... infections science headaches infections. <laughs> science, science headaches <laughs> he's doing his deviated septum thing <laughs> but um, Green Arrow even points out how many times are we going to hear Ray say, hey, you ever had a science headache? This is getting very old. Yeah, like, if one of the characters is bored of it, how do they think the, us, the readers, feel? And that's where it's like, that's supposed to be the setup for a moral argument. Is, hey, maybe we're overdoing the sinus headache thing. Like, it comes off so jokey. And classic that, like, Green Arrow, he cares more about the wasted punchline than the moral argument. Joe brings up that it was this seems like a setup to a moral argument, and it seems like it is going to be a setup to a moral argument. Green Arrow says we're torturing these people; these are human beings. We can't torture them. And Green Lantern says they're villains. We're heroes. We can do whatever we want to them. What do they do to Batman? Since we since we want revenge, we can torture and kill people. That's what heroes do. We have the moral high ground. We're allowed to do anything. Which in real life, that's what real villains do. They say we're the heroes. They're the villains. We can do whatever the fuck we want to them. But I will say that in. The current world, that could be a very valid argument. Especially given the political landscape of the world, how far is too far for the good guys to go is a valid question to ask that a lot of people debate. It is not done well in this book, but that argument of just that's what villains do, I think doesn't do service to that question. Yeah. Is yeah. is it okay to do bad things to bad people to help good people? No, but... And that's a question that I... If this book fully explored, it would be significantly better, but it does not. It just... They... They just go back and forth a couple times, and then they move on to something else. No, the, the, the justification argument is what makes it such a compelling argument, and why this scene is so not compelling. Yeah. And also, do we know what the threat is? They're torturing people because they want to catch villains before they do bad things. Well, they're looking. They're all. They're just like you know. They're almost like being heavies right now, and just like roughing people up trying. Yeah, to Yeah, but Prometheus. they're like Prometheus is a bad guy. They don't mention any of the people yeah. he's killed. They just want to get him because he's a bad guy. So it seems like they're... I could see the argument... Well, they, they, that, they know he's hired the people to yeah, go and take but these but I things. could see the argument being a lot better if they're like, he has a bomb somewhere, yeah. or like he has these hostages, we have to find him, time is of the yeah. essence. They don't say any of that. They just say we have to torture him to find him for whatever. He's the mastermind. But of what? We That's the question. Then. We don't know. Well, and, in proactive justice, are you going to wait around to see what his big plan is? Or are you going to torture the crap out of people to try and find out? We should have some clues that there's a big plan. Yeah. yeah. Not just he wanted to have a fucking. Well, he's stolen stuff. He takes the cosmic. You take. You took the cosmic treadmill from the Flash. So museum. hunting down for that. Oh, you I took... totally forgot about that. So that, that's, that's different. That's actually hunting down for a crime he committed. That's not proactive justice. He's, hi- he's hired these people to go like take stuff. They don't necessarily know what his big so, plan is, but they know he has something. So going So he's on. a crook, and he wanted to have a high school reunion of the fucking Injustice League. 
they they go and torture everybody for it? That seems ridiculous to me. Be it proactive justice. That's this is what Hal Jordan's all about, right? My, now. my liberal side is showing. <laughs> Listen, Green Arrow, why don't you calm down over there? All right, let let people have sinus headaches. But it's not even proactive because everything they do in the story is a reaction to what the villains are doing. Yeah. Every every what they call justice in the story is revenge. Everyone, no, that's the point. The whole point is like I felt at least like well, I was like their whole like they're all like let's give people sinus headaches and this is the part in the story where like you know I don't think we're being as productive as we could be. Yeah, but it doesn't. The argument isn't fleshed out at all. No, yeah. it's not. That's yeah. why this is a bad story. <laughs> so uh, just like uh, we're gonna abruptly stop this moral argument, this, the characters abruptly stop the moral <laughs> argument because Green Arrow just takes out one of the sonic arrows and makes a loud noise and everyone gets headaches. Real sonic Yeah, Green Arrow, Green Arrow takes, takes out like his doggy whistle and messes with Hal Jordan. Yeah. And then everyone's cool after that. Like, the, the, Green, Green Arrow's just like, you okay, bro? And you're like, yeah, I'm okay, bro. And then that's it. End of scene. I think it's kind of like that that thing where someone goes, hey, 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 hey. Just stop and take a breath for a second. But they're talking about torturing people. This yeah. isn't like who spilled the beer at the bar. Yeah, yeah. but like they... I'm not gonna try to defend it, but I'm like they also like they love each other. Like they know that yeah. like regardless at the end of this day, the, they're gonna like fix this. The one thing that I want to point out that I do actually think Robinson does really well is he does make even though the characters are really weird and like the choices are stuff that he does write them. He writes the, the relationships. He writes the, way the relationships the way they should be. For his history of DC, he understands the dynamics. Yes. for the most part, and that's something that characters. is tough to do. So I yeah. do have to give him some credit. This book sucks, though. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to we have to remind writers of that because he might. Yeah, he writes solutions as well. This book is garbage. We're just getting desensitized because I'm like, oh no, this is pretty good, and then I'm like, wait a second. Ryan slips into his old habit of like, yeah. hold on, wait, I- wait, are there raisinets here? <laughs> are there raisinets and mac and cheese? Nearby? So Freeman suggests to the party, hey. Instead of torture people, maybe we should just go to Justice League and ask for help. Because, like, this is clearly big shit. And at this point, we're not being proactive. They did bad stuff, so they could help us. Yeah. So, there's just a bunch of characters here. We're not going to get into them. But basically, uh, Kong Gorilla and Starman meet up with a bunch of heroes and ask them for help. And they say, we should go find the Justice League. And meanwhile, the main team goes to find the Justice League. And uh, the only person we're pointing out is... I guess Tana Troy, who who was the first Wonder Girl, Wonder Woman psychic. She's only worth pointing out because she... What's her origin again? the fuck up, Joe. Wonder Girl is a very complicated origin. She's mini Wonder Woman. Yeah. That's all you need to know. But um, the only reason we have to even have to bring her up is because she has barely any character involved in the story. She has more plot importance than almost... She's the only one who does anything. Yeah, exactly. Well, they all try to do stuff. They yeah, try. It goes very poorly for them. So they meet the Justice League and Black Canary, which is a, super, a female superhero who has sonic screams and is Green Arrow's girlfriend. Wife, oh, at, wife this at this point. Yeah. Very popular on the Arrow TV show if you guys watch and follow it. And she was a she was a very popular character for a long time. She was on Birds of Prey. She has her own, own, own series now. But um, she says... She's, so, she's super mad at Green Arrow for cleaning the team. Not, not, not just super mad that, like, that like he left and stuff. Super mad because she hasn't called him for weeks. Weeks. Her husband... Weeks. This is remember I said like he respects character dynamics. This is the this is the one where he totally like fucks up completely. Yeah. Because there's no way that like he'd ever. For the record, though, Green Arrow and Black Canary have always had like a don't talk to each other while they're on missions thing. That's established. They're not Bruce. They're not. They're not Clark Kent and Lois Lane that like cuddle every night. No, I'm not saying cuddle every night. I'm saying talked in weeks. Yeah, that is that is excessive. But it's not uh, it's not as outrageous if as if it was like Peter Parker or Mary Jane. No, it's not. But it's still it is so he would not do that. Yeah, I'm more I'm more offended by the fact Black Canary says after after uh, Green Arrow left, 
She fell apart. She couldn't manage her life anymore. She couldn't manage the team anymore. She dissolved the Justice League because she couldn't... Well, of course she has to, because now we have to have this new Justice League team. Well, I would say, with the exception of Wonder Woman, wink, wink. Black Canary is far and ab- above the most established and strong female character at DC that isn't a derivative of another male character like Supergirl, Batgirl, Batwoman. I'd say Black Canary is... The strongest individual character. Definitely the yeah. strongest individual. Not even just female character. She's one of the best B-list characters that DC has. She could be A-list if they ever yeah. you know, got it. Especially with the Arrow show. Yeah. yeah. I mean, anyone who's watched yeah. Arrow knows Black Canary's awesome. Yeah. And she definitely wouldn't fall to pieces because Ollie went out and had a boys' night. For weeks. Where they torture people <laughs> for weeks. But this comic has very weird issues with women between this, between Supergirl crying over Green Lantern. Oh, this is not a feminist masterpiece. Yeah. It's not like Trouble was. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, when Supergirl starts crying, Green Arrow uh, starts baby-talking her, literally, saying, Did the man-man, did the bad man make you feel bad? Don't worry, he's just a bad man. He, he's a bad man. We don't talk to him. I like the him. accent that you give him. No, he fucking literally says it. Let me fucking quote it. I'm no, quote I believe it. you. I'm, I'm, I'm... No, 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 no. Let's slide time travel. Okay. Woo! Find this fucking page. Hey, don't cry. Hey, don't cry. The horrible man didn't mean it. He gets grumpy around this time of day. He doesn't get a candy bar. We know you're on our side. Supergirl is is an adult woman. Yeah. Who has her own TV show now that's very popular. So, so what... uh, I don't know what that is, Jeff. I was doing the Doctor Who theme. (laughs) So as the Cry for Justice meets up with the Justice League, it turns out supervillains all over the city... Has the Cry for Justice... So, no, it's the best name. It's the best name for the their town team. criers. Town, the, the Justice Criers. We'll come, that's it. The Justice Criers. Justice so the Justice criers. criers and Justice League meet up, and it turns out the Prometheus team are all meeting around the world. Uh, supervillains are all just causing shit in every city, and all superiors have to stop all these shit all over, over the world. And so they talk about how, since Prometheus knows all the weaknesses of all the heroes, now he's using the weaknesses of the villains against them to make them do what Prometheus wants. Yeah, I, did they ever explain, like, he... Like, does he blackmail the villains? That's, I guess suggested, but... like they, It's another thing that they just drop. Because he, he's getting a lot of guys... Yeah, Robinson... To, to and, attack like, play, like, places for, like, seemingly no gain. One thing I want to say about Prometheus is... I'm not the biggest fan of Prometheus in his original story. And I like I like his original story. It's, it's a... It's not a character I'll be like, wow, best character ever, but as a concept of a guy... He, he bring- has those fans, though. He has yeah, fans that yeah, are, like, best Yeah, but I always felt ever. like he did have a little bit too much plot armor, force, like, look how badass he is. And but he, he gets taken out by Catwoman. Yeah, but and, that's true, that's true. Like, but, he wasn't... He's nowhere near the level he is here. Yeah. Grant Morrison's not... But that's the thing, is even when Grant Morrison, who is a writer who's, like, the king of, like that hot, like, big concept, like, just, no, he's bigger than life kind of thing. Even Grant Morrison's Prometheus doesn't hold a candle to this Prometheus, which is just like, trust me, I am a god for whatever reason. I can do anything I want to anybody and make anybody do anything. Justice. 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 So it turns out Prometheus is using all technology he stole while the heroes were distracted of all these villains. You're welcome for bringing up that plot point. To uh, create a teleporter. Uh, a teleporter that's big enough to teleport an entire city. So in the scene we meet Arsenal, a.k.a. Roy Harper, a.k.a. Green Arrow's former psychic. A.k.a. This Speedy, a.k.a. Red Arrow. This is his first scene in this book. He has like five lines before he has to step out. He has a line. He is... This dialogue is just to establish that he has a daughter that he loves. This, this that is, is it. 
This this dialogue is equivalent of a character in the movie saying, I can't wait to retire today. Boy, me and my wife are going to go on a nice beach and relax all One day One day to my retirement. Yeah. So, Roy Harper shows up. He acts like a great guy. I have to go meet, talk to my daughter. He leaves. Uh, Supergirl goes to find them. She finds out, oh no, Roy Harper has arm dipped off. He says, I can't feel my fingers. And in the intro to this book, James Robinson says this is quite possibly the best line he's ever written. He says that in the intro to the book. I can't feel my fingers with a bloody, stumped arm, Roy Harper. And now one thing I want to say about Roy is he, in the 70s, had a big drug problem and really, really hit rock bottom. And they had been spending the last 30 years trying to build up his character to get over that, and he developed. He ended up having a baby with a villain, and he accepted the responsibility. Became and a single father. He became a single father. The only single father in comics. Yeah, the only single father in comics. And if you're a fan of the Arrow show, you'll know that Roy Harper is a character that feels guilty about a lot of stuff. Yeah. And he finally, he's on the Justice League for the first time, and the Justice League didn't even ask Green Arrow. They asked... Arsenal, his yeah. sidekick, and it was like he was at the. It was a coming of age moment. It was a coming of age moment, and this is the best his character had ever been in his entire. He was from the fifties or the forties, I believe. So yeah, I think from the forties. So this is seventy years into his character, and this is the best he's ever been. And they just they ruin him in this book, and yeah. we'll get to more than just his ripped off arm at this yeah. point. I mean, well, let's start with the ripped off arm. He's is. He's an archer. He, he said, yeah, but this is like, we're talking about like, he said this is the best line that in he thought in the book. Um, I'd, I'd say it's, it's probably the most impactful line. Yeah. When If you haven't read that for the first time, you get to that splash page and it's him holding and he can't. There is there is a lot of weight. The art sells it. Yeah. That line does sell it. The problem is, we just met Roy. If yeah. you are in this book. If Cole, this was Green Arrow, it yeah. would mean something. But because we have just met him and we've only had stuff told to us, they did. There is so and very little. little. He's not yeah. mentioned until the previous. Page. He just showed up in this like this issue. Like he has he, like five lines before he gets on. I know, but like that's that's the thing. Like there's no. If you're just ring this cold turkey, there is no real impact to that. Yeah. Like there's impact for. This like, was the, actually yeah. the first story I ever read with Roy Harper. Oh wait, no, I read the one where he gets addicted to heroin, and then this. So I was like, Roy's a real Roy's a fun guy. Yeah. And now Roy's become after, like, after going back and reading a lot of older Green Arrow stuff, and like the show too. Like Roy's a great character, and this makes me so sad. So uh, while the Justice League is tending the cry for justicers and the Justice League are tending to Roy's wounds, Supergirl goes to confront. Oh, I would just like to point out that Supergirl flies over, cauterizes the wound with her uh, oh, yeah. laser vision, and then flies away and just leaves him there, just on the ground. He's not bleeding anymore. He's fine. But it doesn't. She just leaves him there. She doesn't call for help or anything. She just leaves him. Oh, Congorilla calls for help. Does he? Yeah. He yells. Oh, yeah, he yells loudly. And also, considering I don't know if he calls for help, I think he just he just yells. And he yells justice. <laughs> so she goes to confront. Uh, Along with everyone else, this Freddie world. Freeman, and she reveals, "I know it's you, Prometheus. I know when you sent that lightning, you sent that lightning down to protect us from that bomb. It was you using one of your disc things to protect us from that bomb. I know." Uh, you you said the word Shazam uh, several times without turning into Shazam because if he turns, if he says Shazam she turns back and forth and he does it by accident a few times. Yeah, he lets it slip. He lets the word Shazam slip. And and yeah. the big and like this is a kind of a clever twist. The big problem is why the fuck does Supergirl not tell anyone else? Yeah. And why like she runs off to confront him after Roy gets hurt. Do, do, is, it, is it that it just hit her or is it that? 
No, she runs off to confront him. To, to be fair, though, Flash and Gorilla Grodd did did fight him Gorilla too. Grodd. Oh, Gorilla Grodd. Did fight him too. They got beaten off off panel. They got beaten off off panel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For me, he's a dirty guy. This is the secret of trouble, actually. I forget Flash was there too. I forget most of these characters exist in the story. And speaking of, so the next scene is uh, Supergirl confronts Freddie Freeman, and and he turns out yes, I'm Prometheus. He shoots her with a, with a Vulcan gun. A magic bullet, and that takes her out of one shot. Yeah. And then the rest of Justice League shows up, and then this scene is it. This this is one of those scenes where they have to show off how badass the villain is. So they make the heroes. This is what I was talking about. Yeah. They make the villain. They make the heroes as dumb as possible. Not to get too much into backstory, they have one hero called Zatanna, who's a magic user. She can cast spells from far away. She runs right into melee rage, just so Prometheus can shoot her right in the throat, and she can't cast spells anymore. Yeah. The Flash is chasing him, yeah. and he says, stop, accessing files, and then, like, does, hits him with something stupid. Like, the Flash is running at him already. We is, see is him running. Jay Garrick? It's Jay. Okay. And Jay's not super fast, but he's fast enough to not... No, no, Jay's super fast. Yeah, I mean, he's... Jay's he's <laughs> relative Jay, to the Flashes. Jay is super fast. super fast. He's definitely super fast relative yeah. to, like, people. And he stops and, like, puts in a disc and accesses it. So, like, like, relative to, like, except for, like, five other people on this planet. Yeah. Like, like he is... Yeah. Probably even, like, four at this point. Yeah, because Sonic the Hedgehog is no longer canon. <laughs> and also, Black Canary, another uh, ranged character of a Sonic Scream... A ranged character runs forward into melee range just so Prometheus can take her out. Yeah. This this happens more times in comics than I can count, where yeah. characters just run into a, a, the villain punches. It's something we're fist. definitely going to refer to again in the future. It's called jobbing. Yeah. When they job at a character, where they take an established character and let him get the shit kicked out of them to show how bad to show how badass, yeah. badass they are. Yeah. Yeah. So he takes out the entire, pretty much entire Justice League and cry for justice team. Uh, and there's got to be twenty characters yeah. here. That and and and. Out. And they're attacking him on all fronts. Ray Palmer shrinks down, and he detects him in his armor and, and sends nanomachines after him to attack him and fucks up uh, Ray's body. He like, gives he, Ray a sinus headache, he, which was a nice piece of irony. Yeah, he does give Ray a sinus <laughs> headache, and his head's all, like, crushed. Yeah, his whole body's distorted. <laughs> then Jay Garrick shows up in the story. He's like, hey, I'm going to be part of this plot. And from he's like, no, you're not. Get the fuck out of here, Ray. Yep. We didn't <laughs> and then, mention and then shade. the shade at all. That's not, please. Like, he's so on the, uh, the shade is, long story short, we can just do this real quick. Shade was another... Starman character. Another Starman character who's, who's probably the most well-handled character in the story. Um, he, he does his own investigative thing, and he goes through Jay Garrick. He's always been, like, at least in Starman, he's like an anti-hero who just like likes to investigate and like find everything yeah. out and kind of manipulate. He things. loves his city and he senses that his city is in danger, so he's acting in the best interest. So of his he city. goes to Jay and they recruit a bunch yeah. of other heroes, and I mean dozens of super obscure heroes that I've never even heard of, and like they all show up at different points in the story to not do anything. Yeah, pretty so, much. So like Shade, when he shows up, I was like, oh, Robinson's bringing back Shade. This is gonna be awesome, and he doesn't do anything. Yeah, Shade shows up. No, he has this big moment in a couple of pages. With one way, a second out by Prometheus, one shot. No, the one after that. Even here, Prometheus gets to Shade and he goes, I have files on every hero. Who are you? And he goes, I'm not a hero. And I'm thinking like, oh, this is why Shade is here. He's going to be Prometheus. And Prometheus goes, oh, okay, never mind. Beats him. Yep. Which is weird because uh, Prometheus uses Shade's powers to take out Jay Garrick. And also, yeah. and yeah. also the device later on, uh, Prometheus devices to counteract people's powers. He says the device to counteract Shade's powers. Yeah. This story is poorly fucking written. This story is a piece of shit. Okay. 
just to clarify. So then the the character barely even have any explanation, any character development, any anything. Donna Troy is the one to take out Prometheus. She and just also, punches him. Yeah, she just, she punches, just punches him. him. And also, to, no, Prometheus took her out twice. She did not do anything special to, be, to, feed, to feed him. Basically, she rams him. Yeah, she uh, he shoots her. She breaks out the the, the arrows that he, he nail, uses to nail her to the cross, to the wall. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Then, Prometheus um, tricks uh, Green Arrow to shoot her in the legs. And then finally, she just punches him in the face. Prometheus disguises her as Prometheus, yeah. so he yeah. shoots her. Yeah. So And then, she smashes uh, his helmet. She smashes his hands. Next scene, they re- rebuild it and give, give it back to him. This helmet is a source of his powers. This helmet is how he gets the skills of every hero into his brain. So let's give it back to him. Yeah. yeah of course. Oh, that's also where the shade comes in. Donna's about to murder him, and the shade's like, hold on, you don't want to cross that line. That's a line I crossed. Um, once again, nice scene, but like, unless you've read James Robinson's Starman, yeah. you're not going to get any context for Nobody that. cares about shade at this point in the story. Nobody cares about Donna. There's no reason for us to care about these. Yeah. It's only good as... That's why I used to defend this If story. you know the entire DC universe, it's a very interesting tale. Yeah. yeah. And there's a... That's the thing is like, from a Hal perspective, from a Ray Palmer perspective, I was enjoying... From an Ollie perspective, I was enjoying elements of the story. And I think reading it now, knowing the DC universe a lot better, I was like, wow, you are just yeah. ruining it. Where do you have to judge this instead of judging this as part of like a greater... Un- like, we have to judge it solely as a story. And sucks as yeah. that. That's where it fails. Yeah. As a piece of, like, as a... Something that acknowledges the greater history of the DC universe. Um, it is very... It does a great job at that. And I, I almost thought it did it to its detriment to the point where yeah. it is so... I don't want to say it's continuity, but it so goes out of its way to acknowledge all these different continuities. It feels more it, like an inventory than a story. Yeah. That's very fair. Which is probably why he cleans up so much. <laughs> So the final issue, the final issue they have Prometheus. Prometheus reveals the master plan. Basically, the teleport he created, he wants to teleport every city. Um, oh, he's got bombs everywhere. No, he wants to teleport to every city. They're time bombs. To time uh, bombs. Literal, literal time bombs. Yeah. He wants to just place uh, cities throughout the time stream because this whole thing is, listen, if I blow up people, you know, you'll grieve and you'll get over it. But if they're lost in time forever, that's something that you'll never get over. I, I don't get why Prometheus wants to do this so Because he's an asshole. But just because he's an asshole? His, because his parents That died. is consistent with his characterization. He's just an asshole. Okay, so yeah. fair enough. But um, but then, is this consistent with his personality? Because he says, oh, I'm captured now. I, I made this whole convoluted plan. This insanely convoluted plan. I called in every favor I have to make this plan work. All I want now is to be free. So I will call off my entire plan and just free me. Yeah. Ask, ask Ollie how he feels about... His plan. Why don't you ask Roy? Oh yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, no, no homage to Watchmen. Uh, yeah. They, he says, "I will set off bombs all over the cities." And he says, "Oh wait, uh, Green Arrow for your city, I did it five minutes ago." Ha ha. To show, because Green Arrow says, "How do you know? How do we know this isn't a bluff? How do we know he's not just saying this so we let him go?" And then he goes, "It's funny that you asked, because your city's garbage now." So Green Arrow's city's blown, being blown up, and then we get the fucking scene. That is the worst, probably one of the worst comic panels in history. Yeah. We get to see Roy's daughter, her first appearance in this book. Roy's daughter. Roy's a character who show up for like Keep five in mind, pages. She has been a character for thirty years. Yeah. Really, thirty years? She came yeah. up in the in the early eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh my God, you're right. Or maybe mid eighties, maybe twenty five years. Okay. No, no, you're absolutely right. I forget sometimes yeah. how long. Yeah. How yeah. long comics are? But um, her first appearance is as a corpse. Yeah. This this. This character, 
this child was used as a just a way as a cheap emotional moment. So keep in mind, we were story. talking about Roy Harper's development and how he's the only single dad in comics. So what do they do? They rip off his arm and they kill the dog. Yeah, and he barely shows up in the story. Yeah, there's no like you said, Leanne's first appearance and only appearance is as a corpse. Yeah, in Green Arrow's arms. Yeah. So worst fucking scene in any comic ever, in my opinion. And then, uh, so it turns out the bombs, they can't be disabled because every bomb has a perfect countermeasure to the heroes that are in that city. So Shade, who Prometheus says, I don't have a, tra- a record on you, his bomb, uh, if, it, if it lacks light, the bomb lacks light, it will uh, self-destruct or something. Yeah, the shadow makes it speed up. Or no, it makes it speed up, yes. The shadow makes it speed up. So Shade, a character, Prometheus says, I don't know who you are, I made, but I made the perfect countermeasure for you. Yeah. Yeah, so th- there's that. That's what he would make it for Shade and not for Starman. Even James Robinson was like, I can't bring Starman into this book. Yeah. Or any Starman. Well, I mean, he acknowledges another Starman. Yeah, going where, is, is, where is the Starman he brings into this book at this point? Oh, uh, who gives a shit at he's this got, point? He got, he got beaten up in the Watchtower. Oh, okay. Yeah, so. Yeah, they, they write out a lot of characters at this point. They're like, he just, you know. In, in their negotiations with, yeah. with uh, Prometheus, they're like, we're going to negotiate with him. He just, you know. Leveled Star City, yeah. put half of our roster and like on the injured reserve. That's one thing that I am not c- being clear enough at. That I think any of us are. There are so many cameos and characters introduced and dropped out. Just go to like the DC Wiki page to any of these issues. There are at least twenty five characters. There are so many characters we had to skip. We had to skip. Uh, we had to skip Guardian. We had to skip Batwoman. Guardians in a lot. Batwoman's in a lot. Like there are so many characters. We, we that... barely had to mention the Shade because yeah. we're mentioning the Shade right now because we have to. Because yeah. of James Robinson. We don't yeah. even have to. We're just doing it because it's interesting facts. Yeah. And the thing no, is, we have to. He's, he's become a, a decent part of the story yeah. at this point. There are. He's, he has, he's a good scene, but yeah. if we're talking about just plot, important yeah. plot elements, he's yeah. not. Yeah. There are dozens of characters in every issue that are just there as cameos. And one of the characters that has the most important part of the story. Shows up halfway through. Two of the most important characters, Roy Harper and Donald Troy, uh, show up halfway through and get barely an explanation to their characters. They're maybe on five pages apiece. Yeah. Yeah. So, this whole plan is very stupid because Prometheus bombs counteract fucking everything. They find Freddie Freeman, who has his mouth stitched up, and uh, he has trouble speaking, but he manages to get the word Shazam out, which turns him into his Adonis-like... Superman, like a uh, little boy turns big boy. So, uh, Shazam tries his powers to fix, stop the bombs, and all the only explanation they do is Prometheus says, "Ha, you think I wouldn't have countermeasures against magic? That's it." Shazam, one of the most powerful characters in DC. I, I just have a countermeasure for that. That's the only explanation you would get. Miss Martian comes back at this point too, just to get jobbed out to him. To as try well. to read his mind, yeah. and then she gets like she gets psychic feedback out. and yeah. all that nonsense. Good thing they give him back his helmet. Yeah, just just Good so he thing. can do that. And so... I'd like to think this is a satire of this is what the Justice League is without Batman. Yeah. <laughs> and also about the helmet thing, he doesn't finish the bomb planning thing until he's kept prisoner. He says, I'm downloading all your information as I'm sitting here. So they give him the helmet back and he's downloading information. If they took away the helmet, his whole plan would stop right there. Yeah. So this whole story is only possible because the Justice League is fucking mentally deficient. I yeah. like to think that he's super ugly and they're like, oh god, put the helmet back on. <laughs> he's hideous. Oh. But yeah, so, Ugh. now we get to the, the Prometheus. Give I, me I, one more uh, Joe. Uh. <laughs> As we said, Prometheus says, let me go and I'll have this all stop. And Justice League is trying desperately to find a way to not set him free. And this is a story where the plot demands that he he be set free because 
whatever plot contrivance they need to explain how every super on the planet can't stop these abilities, uh, Prometheus somehow found find a way to make those plot contrivances happen. How do we feel about that, though? I this, fucking hate it. This was the part. This is where I actually I kind of enjoyed. I I don't think it's done well, but this is the story where they lose. They not, have not to only, let him go not after only, yeah. he killed Leanne, Roy's daughter. Yeah. After he ripped all these horrible things, they have to let him they go. They lose. And that's the thing is that would be a moral argument and an interesting argument if I bought into why they lost. Yeah, I don't. It buy wasn't it. their arrogance that made them lose. Mm-hmm. It wasn't their adherence to a strict moral code that made them lose. It's plot bullshit. Yep. But I do agree with you, Joe. That it, it is in an interest- theory. It, it is, is an interesting. interesting thing in theory. I. I agree about the plot bull crap, but I I found it very interesting that they, and this uh, it's a super story that we never see. It's I just, think it's it's, it's a, they a lose. story we see in Marvel a lot. Yeah, that we never see in but, DC. Do we see it like this though? Not to this extent. Like this is this is a, this is reason, as close to a total loss. I think as the I've reason why seen. it's so big is because we yeah. don't see things like this, especially in DC at all. Yeah. DC doesn't have stories. With like DC's always like the Superman standing on the mountaintop, like with the wind in his hair. Like it's very, yeah. they're not as fallible as Marvel characters. And I think having this story be all about like the fallibility of DC's morals is but why. Besides the fallibility of the morals, it's just. But you know, like in this yeah. case, they have to compromise. Yes. And like normally, that would be fascinating, but this story is bad. Yeah. Yeah. And it should feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Doctor Swiper. <laughs> so the two final most dumb moments in the story. Moment number one. Prometheus gives him the code. They decide to let him go. So Prometheus gives him the code. Then they let him leave. Why? Yeah. Why not fucking just kill him right there? Because you're honorable. And no one's going to kill them. That's also, why, thing... is, why is Prometheus giving the code anyway? Why is he honorable? Why does he say, thanks for letting me go, I will give That's you... one thing I never got about superheroes. And I love superheroes, obviously. But that's one thing. Like, Captain America does this all the time where it's like, I told him I, I, I couldn't lie. I'm like, he just murdered all these people. You could lie to him. Yeah. Like, what the hell are you talking about? But I don't buy in the story because A, Prometheus is super honorable because he gives him the code. B, Justice League, even the Cry for Justice members are super honorable because they let him go. After he gives them the code, why do they let him leave? Yeah. Why doesn't he give them half the code before, half the code after? Exactly. That would make sense. That's what you do if you're trying to make this work logically in the story, if you're, yeah. if you're trying to make good writing. But yeah. Dumb... If you're trying to make good writing. If you're trying to make good writing. <laughs> I write good. I am a writer. <laughs> go read my comics, by the way. They're great. <laughs> SlyStories.com, by the way. <laughs> so, the final dumb moment. Theoretically, it's a cool moment, but... Considering all the bullshit happened before it... it's I think this bullshit is excusable. But So, Prometheus goes back to his pocket dimension. A dimension is hard to get to. And he's a guy of all the plans. He sets up no defenses for his base. Also, he, that that scientist is still there as, like, a, a yeah, brain dead. Still yeah. drooling still in the drooling chair where he left so. him, like, hours ago. Yeah. yeah. So he says, I assume covered in feces and urine. <laughs> Green Arrow just walks. Green Arrow, hold it in. He, by definition, yeah. I really like the idea of Prometheus putting a diaper on him before he leaves. <laughs> so Green Arrow just walks into this pocket dimension uh, domain and shoots him in the he- head of an arrow. End of story. Yep. No. What does he say? Justice. <laughs> Finally, someone got justice in the story. This would be a great scene if we didn't spend the whole story establishing Prometheus as a god tier. All mega character. It turns out the the two things that his two weaknesses are an arrow and a fist. <laughs> and that wraps up Cry for Justice. Okay. Also referred to as Gay for Justice because of the font they use for, for the It logo. makes it look like it says Gay for Justice yeah. on the cover, yes. So, <laughs> would you guys recommend Cry for Justice? 
I would recommend it. Did we do this already? We well, did no, already. It's, it's final, final judgments. Final judgments. Judgments. Final judgments. Um, this is a bad, bad book. It is terrible. Only if you want to see why comic fans complain about comics are too gritty and dark, and you want to see the best exp- the best example of dark for the sake of dark with no substance. I think this book is terrible. Joe? Um, yeah, this, this book is pretty duty. Um, oh, fun fact, the, they explain this uh, another thing, but uh, Greenow gets there via the shade to Prometheus's lair. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay, that makes more, that makes more sense. If you're, if you're curious about that, that's that's about all I know about that, and James Robinson would go on to do better books after this. Thank you. It, it's it's tough because he I really loved his his shade mini that he did um, at the launch of New Fifty Two. Kind of right lo- after this, a year or two after yeah. he does at the launch of New Fifty Two, and it's brilliant. And then he does a recent run, Fantastic Four, and it is it's very hard to look at those runs that I really like look at fondly, and then kind of look at this. And just, this is just, whatever could go wrong, did go wrong yeah. in this book. And there, there are moments that I very much enjoy. There are concepts that I very much enjoy. But none of it is really done well. Yeah. And it's just, like, I can't even recommend it as like, as like, oh, read this as a joke, you know? That's the thing is, like, Trouble was so silly and, like quirky and ridiculous and it did here's the thing like trouble did no damage to yeah, yeah. like it was an elseworld story like it had no impact on anything and it was the, just and even, yeah. even if it was continuity i may and uh we, Uncle i ben think we Bonnie, talked about trouble yeah. enough i know but yeah. even if it wasn't continuity that's yeah. not the worst thing that could happen to those characters yeah especially spider-man the thing is this, like, this set back so many characters yeah. for the thing is, a it's, very very long time yeah a, i don't i don't think roy in the comics, I don't think Roy Harper has ever recovered no, from this. Not. And the thing is, like, this kind of book, because it has the good concepts that you said, there's we talked about premises that Joe yeah. and I really like. And like because of that, that's what doesn't make it so bad it's good. Whereas like a book like Ultimatum, yeah, which is a book we're gonna talk about a lot, is so bad that it's worth reading for how bad it is. Yeah. yeah. Whereas this is just there's just enough good James Robinson in here for me to just get mad at it. It's tough to read. Yeah, it's, it's tough. If to you, read. especially if you love these characters, because yeah. they are just no good. I don't think any good came for anyone no. out of the story. Absolutely not. Like if you liked Prometheus, not only did this build him back up to like a, a tier that I don't think anyone wanted. It, yeah. He's he's dead he at the end of the, the story. End. Yeah. What about you, Sly? Um, I think as long as, for as the length we do this podcast, it will be a long time before we find a story I hate as much as this one. Challenge it, accepted. Speaking of which, uh, next next episode, we are going to be doing the follow-up, the sequel to this book. Uh, some reviews say, <laughs> on Amazon, none of us have read it yet, some reviews say, not as good as Cry for Justice. Uh, the follow-up was disappointing. So we are very excited for so that. So when I say I don't know how long how long it'll take for me to find the worst comic, it might be next week, guys. Yeah. If anyone wants to read it, it's Justice League Rise and Fall. Okay, I, I'll have to do some research into this. Because the only time... The only time I see Roy Harbour show up after this is Eric Wallace's Titan. Which we will definitely also talk about. Oh, God. Before we wrap up, I have to point this out because it's easy to forget because it's a one line in the story. Justice. Justice. But um, the resolution to the whole more argument of torturing 
it gets resolved in one line in the middle of the last issue. Ray just says, oh, wait, I should have mind about torture. It's, it's, it's bad. <laughs> that's literally what happens. He talks, he talks to uh, Prometheus. Let me see uh, if you can open it up. Yeah. Let me see the actual scene. Woo. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. Torture is bad, okay? Okay, children. Yeah, so last scene is uh, Prometheus saying, oh, you're going to torture me now, Ray? And Ray, off screen, he got a huge character development saying, no. I realize Green Arrow is right. Torture is wrong. <laughs> Let's remind you, last time you talked about torture, Green Arrow just shot a Sonic character and stopped, everyone stopped talking, and they all probably stopped their conversation. And it's not like Ray was just, like, bending their arm a little bit too much. He was shrinking down and stomping on their brains. Yeah. Like, he was really torturing them. Yeah. So, okay, before we get to recommendations, there is a new segment to the show that you guys don't know about. Butt stuff? I, yeah, butt stuff. That, uh... I want to bring up. This wasn't in our contract, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah uh, I'm being paid extra for this. I am introducing the letters page where we read letters we get from listeners. Do we get if any letters? You, if we want to write in, it's divisiveissues at gmail.com. And this first letter comes from Ariel. Check, check, one, two, hello, smiley face. So the email is officially set up and it works. So if you would like to add and write in a new letter... Ariel, if you're listening right now, you're beautiful. <laughs> it's divisiveissues at gmail.com. Ah, we have a fan. <laughs> the prettiest fan in all the land. God, I wish you could hear this right now. Maybe she will down the line. I'm glad that Joe is using this podcast as a medium to hit on my girlfriend. <laughs> Compliment. <laughs> okay, recommendations. So, recommendations. What would you recommend as an alternative to this story? And why would you recommend as an alternative? Do you want to go first, Jim? No, God, no, I have nothing. I, I'll go first if you guys don't want okay. to. Please go first. My recommendation is Chris Yost and Craig Kyle's X-Force. During the, last, during the Civil War episode, we talked about how the X-Men were in a bad spot at that time, how they went to two genocides. X-Force is a story where Cyclops and Wolverine form a, form a covert X-Men team, basically to hunt down anyone trying to kill the last surviving mutants. They do a lot of morally questionable stuff. There's a lot of moral, moral ambiguity in it. But, first of all, the writing's way better. Chris yes. Yost is one of my favorite writers. Just like James Robinson used to be, but I do think Chris Yost handles this kind of subject matter better than James Robinson does. Uh, I actually think that the artist is the most similar to this artist. I was artist. about to say that. Yeah. Exactly. That's a you great You say point. that then. You take no, that. No, I'm going to give you credit to Ryan, because <laughs> you are a genius, Ryan. This brilliant man over here. That The artist, is it... I want to say Clayton Crane, but I don't think that's true. Uh, it might be. Whatever. That the you, artist When you look is, up the, the title, you'll find out the artist's name. <laughs> yeah. I think, the, I think the artist is the closest I've ever seen to this artist. Yeah. But um, one thing I do love about that run is it is not treated as, we are committing justice here. We are, we are justice. Justice, justice, justice. They, they know they're doing morally questionable things. They are doing what they need to survive. It is not we have to go and stop criminals before they stop crimes. It is, we are going to die if these criminals get even a second chance to, to come after and us. And they stay covert so that it doesn't, like, taint the X-Men yeah, name. they know they're, what they're doing is bad. They want to make sure their stuff is hidden. So what about you guys? Okay, I would like to recommend James Robinson's Starman. It is one of my favorite books of all time. I think it is, to me, the book that shows the potential of the DC Universe more than any other book. It features... The Starman from this book and The Shade in much, much better roles. It's long, but I think it stays fantastic from issue one to the end. 
And I think that even the most casual comic book fan, even someone who's never read a comic book fan, <laughs> even someone who's never read a comic book before can pick it up and really find something interesting about that book. About you, Joe? Um, I'm going to recommend uh, JSA by uh, Jeff Johns. Um, it features Jake. It's just you know, it's just really good comics. And after reading this story, that's all I really want right now. And the J stands for justice. So I just yeah. I just really want to read like good team comics where people do good things. If you want just... al- if you want an alternative justice team, that's not this. Justice Society is pretty good. I think JS. I think Jeff Johns's JSA is. If not the best, top three best team books of all time. You know, just go treat yourself. Just go read JSA. Just go have a good time. All right. And James Robinson actually launches the book. The first yeah, arc don't, is don't, qu- don't question you know your morals. You're going to see a lot of familiar characters and stuff in it. And it's, it's just it's great comics. It's a good run. Yeah. And I, I, for the most part, I don't have to question how I feel inside. Yes. Which is all I really want to do right now. So I just want to say, as much as I've been crapping on James Robinson's episode and his writing this issue... Starman is one of my favorite comics too, so I love you, man. Do better than this from now on. <laughs> yes, I think. So uh, if you guys, like I said before, want to write in, it's divisiveissues at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on Cry for Justice, any recommendations you have for further episodes, because we have plenty of garbage to read, Yep. but, you know, we're always on the lookout for more. We're always on the lookout for garbage. Yeah, and uh, you could tweet at us, at divisiveissues. You could check out our Facebook page. Yeah. You guessed it, Divisive Issues. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I've been Sly. I've been Ryan. I'm Joe. Stay continuity. Shh, I was getting to it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. God damn it, Sly. I fucked up everything. No, you're fine. I love you. (laughs) Stay in continuity. Stay in continuity. Go, 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 new justice team. Go team, go team, 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 team. Who's the newest justice team? The new justice team.